Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey, my name's Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today, Mark chapter 5. And uh, I heard a story a while back about a musician from down in Kentucky who was asked by a funeral home to go play the bagpipes at a little graveside service that they were going to have. So he said, okay, and the day of the graveside service came, and so the musician starts driving, and it's like this cemetery is way out in the sticks, gravel roads, no cell signal, and so as he's driving there, he gets all turned around, all kinds of lost. He has to stop and ask for directions, and by the time he finally arrives, it's an hour past when he was supposed to be there. Everybody has already gone. The only people left are the grave diggers. And they've got their backhoes sitting out over there. The workers are over kind of having a lunch break. And of course, this musician, he's just brokenhearted that he had missed his opportunity here. He figures the least he could do is still, you know, fulfill his duty and honor the deceased. And so he pulls out his bagpipes and he walks over to this open hole in the ground where he begins to play the most amazing rendition of amazing grace. And he's weeping as he plays. And, and, and the workmen over there, they've never seen anything like this before. And, and they put down their sandwiches and they're crying. And when he gets done with the song, he packs up his bagpipes, hops back in his car. And as he's driving away, one of the workmen leans over to the other one and he says, wow, I have never seen anything like that. And I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years now. <laughs> It's a dumb joke. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> uh, hey, today we're going to see one of the most dramatic encounters in the life of Jesus, and it just so happens at a graveyard. There's my wonderful transition to get into the sermon, okay? We're in Mark chapter 5 this morning, and we're in the middle of a really long day that Jesus is having. You might remember that he's spent all day, like, teaching to these crowds, finally gets to the end of the day. He says to his disciples, let's get out of here. They hop in their boat. They're going out across the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up, threatens to drown them. Jesus calms the storm, and then they finally arrive on the other side of the lake. They're hoping to finally get some peace and quiet, but as if it couldn't get any scarier, Mark tells us what happens as soon as they get to land. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. As we go along today, it's going to be like normal. I'm going to read the words in white, and I want you to read out loud the words in yellow when you see them. Mark begins by saying this in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. He says, they went out across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, that's actually just six miles across the water, not too far, but it's a whole world apart. Because the region of the Gerasenes, that's Gentile territory where all the non-Jews live. No Jew would be caught dead going over there, except Jesus. Jesus goes where no one else will go. And Mark continues to write, he says this. He says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
In God's name, don't torture me. So here's the disciples, right? And they're already freaked out from the storm. They're even more freaked out because Jesus calms the storm. And then they finally think that they're through all of it. And they make it to land. Remember, it's probably still the middle of the night, like pitch black. They're pulling their boat up on the beach. They're cold. They're wet. They're dripping all over the place. When all of a sudden, they hear a shriek. And you can imagine they look and up the hill coming, running out of the graveyard comes this dark shadowy figure sprinting toward them, foaming at the mouth, muscular, bloody, dragging chains and stark naked. Now pause right there. Because you may not think that that uh, mental image of a deranged demoniac has much in common with your everyday life, but I'd actually like to submit to you today that you and I have a whole lot more in common with that demon-possessed guy than you might initially realize, and here's why. It's because his enemy is our enemy, and the same devil who enslaved him wants to enslave you, and the same demons that tore apart his family want to tear apart yours. Now, the enemy, uh, throughout the world, like the, the devil can still use tactics of visual, uh, like visible, tangible oppression, and, and that, that's an effective weapon still for him in some places. But in our society, I think sometimes the enemy's most effective weapon is just to convince us that he doesn't exist and to make us forget about him. But Paul says something quite different. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul reminds us for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here's what that means. That means whatever your struggle is right now, whatever trouble you're dealing with in your life right now, all of us have something. It's not a struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You have an enemy. So really practically, that means like, hey, when you sit down to pray, and you're feeling really distracted, or your phone starts buzzing, or... Like when you and your spouse, you just can't get on the same page. You're just in one of those seasons, right? Or like when, when your schedule gets so busy, you've kind of fallen out of the habit of going to home group. Listen, all those things, they might be coincidence, but they might not be coincidence. It might be the enemy. Now, you might be hearing me say that, and you may be thinking, okay, preacher, that sounds a little bit dramatic. But here's what you need to be aware of. Um, the enemy... He wants to turn your choices into chains. He wants to turn your choices into chains. And here's the game that the enemy is going to play with you. He's going to say, hey, make the choice to just tell that little white lie. It's easier than having to, like, fess up and explain the whole story, right? Just, just one little choice. He's going to say, make the choice to... Just kind of join in on the conversation. I know it sounds gossipy, but you don't want it to be awkward and weird. And oh my goodness, did you hear what she did? Just make the choice. Uh, the enemy's going to say, hey, make, make the choice to just, listen, it's been a long day. Spend some time on your phone or in front of the TV instead of like turning the screens off and looking your spouse and your kids in the eyes and choosing to engage with them on a heart level. Just make, make a choice. You, you deserve it. It's been a, been a long season. He's going to say, hey, make the choice to just kind of keep some of that money. You can't afford to live a life of generosity right now because, listen, you, you got some debt you're trying to pay off. You got that thing you want to buy. Just, just make that little choice. He's going to say, hey, make the choice to, uh, you know, when that person smarted off at you or blamed you or attacked you or when your spouse kind of snips at you, you don't have to take that. You don't deserve that. Make the choice to snap back. Make the choice to defend yourself. Just, 
One little choice. You see, the enemy wants to take your choices, and he wants to turn them into chains. He's going to say, hey, make the choice to just, uh, you know, stay out, stay out a little while longer. One more drink, you can handle it. You've been here before. He's going to say, hey, make the choice to uh, keep that secret. Rather than fessing up and telling somebody, he's going to say, hey, make the choice to uh, just hit the snooze button. You're tired, right, instead of getting up 15 minutes earlier and spending some time with the Lord. He's going to say, make the choice to, uh, I mean, you know you shouldn't, but make, make the choice to text him back one more time. He makes you feel good. He's going to say, make the choice to uh, harbor that grudge. I mean, because they hurt you for real. So, so make the choice just to, to nurse it and to let those bitter feelings just linger for a while longer. After all, you didn't, you didn't deserve to be hurt like that. It's better than doing the nitty-gritty work of forgiveness, right? Just make the choice. And then before you know it, choice by choice by choice, what the enemy does is he takes those choices and he turns them into a chain of events. And choice by choice by choice, before you know it, all of a sudden, you're stuck. And you have no idea how you got here. And your marriage is on the brink. And your relationship with your kids is shallow. And you're stuck in a web of lies. And, and, and your relationship with the Lord, it's stale if it's even there. And, and you have no idea how you got here. And I'll tell you how you got here. You got here because the enemy didn't come at you with a chain. If the enemy came at you with a chain, you'd be smart enough to run away. I would too. He came at you with a choice. And choice by choice by choice, he got you here. I've heard it said before that sin will always take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And so you end up stuck. And, and we see that even right here in Mark chapter 5 with the story of this guy. We see the effects of sin. Number one, we see sin makes you dirty. I mean, this guy, he's out there. He's living among the tombs. He's living in a grave. Can you imagine just filth to the utmost degree? And, and that's what our sin does to us. The prophet Isaiah says that in the sight of God, our sin is like this. All of us have become like one who's unclean, that we're all kind of like him. And all our righteous acts, like even the good things we try to do, we're still not good. They're like filthy rags, Isaiah says. Now that word there in the Hebrew, um, it means that our sin in the sight of God is actually like minstrel cloths. It's the same word. Sin makes you dirty. Second thing is that sin makes you alone. And we see that in the life of this guy here. He is, he is utterly alone. He's like cast out of town. He's, he's having to leave his home. He's abandoned by the people that he loves. He's completely alone. And the enemy would love to convince you this morning that you are completely alone. That nobody else is struggling the way you're struggling. That if people actually knew your real story and how messy it was, they couldn't possibly still love you. You're alone. Third thing is that sin makes you desperate. I mean, did you see this picture of desperation here in Mark chapter 5. Look at what this guy is doing here in verse 5. Mark says this. He says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones, just desperate to try to feel something again. He is desperate. And the enemy would love to tell you that you are so unlovable, that you are so far gone, that you are so unworthy, that the shackles of self-destruction are the only path forward and there's no hope for somebody like you. And so the last thing is that sin makes you dead. It's not a coincidence that when this man is given over to the dominion of the enemy, the only place left for him is the graveyard. The enemy just, he doesn't just want to possess you. Listen, he doesn't just want to tempt you. 
He doesn't want to just like try to stop you from having a good time. He wants to kill you. Make no mistake, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's out to destroy you. Sin makes you dead. It kills you. Paul says that our spiritual story for all of us in Colossians chapter 2 is that you were dead in your sins, that I was not just a messed up guy. I was dead in my sins. Sin makes you dead. Where does that leave us? It means the enemy wants to drag you in the grave. And I know this is heavy, but listen, I just got to warn you, the enemy can use a whole lot of different chains, a whole lot of choices, a whole lot of chains of events to drag you and your family into the grave. Um, he can use generational cycles of dysfunction like poverty and abuse and distracted fathers and frustrated mothers. He can use depression. He can use anger. He can use money and distraction and achievement and porn and pills. He can use one bad decision on one late night. He can use the relentless pursuit of the American dream. He can use the lie that the most important thing in your life is the pursuit of your own personal happiness. He can use words that somebody said to you when you were a kid and he wants to drag you into the grave. And if I can just be completely gut level honest and crack open the door my heart before you this morning. One of the weapons that as a church leadership we see the enemy using right now is he is launching a full out attack on marriages. That he just wants to drag marriages apart. One of the things the enemy wants to do is he would love to get you to settle for being a shallow, controlling, like distracted, physically present, but spiritually absent spouse. He just wants to get you to settle for a stale version of your marriage. He'd love to use your secrets to drag your family to the grave. He'd love to use busyness to sap the soul out of your relationship. So just out of love as your pastor this morning, can I warn you, can I challenge you, please guard your marriage. Love your spouse. Lead your family in prayer. You've seen the statistics just like I have about how 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And we've talked about this before, but other studies have shown that if a couple will put just one habit in place, the divorce rate will fall to less than 1%, just one habit. That if a husband and a wife will pray together every day, the divorce rate falls to less than 1%. And you may be thinking, that's awkward. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to say. I didn't grow up like that. I've not done that for so long. How could I possibly start now? It's gonna be so weird. Listen, I get it, but remember, the battle for your marriage is not a battle against flesh and blood. You're not fighting your spouse. You're fighting an enemy who's using spiritual weapons, and we have to learn how to use spiritual weapons to lead your family in prayer, please. And yet, breaking change is hard, isn't it? Like some of y'all been here before. And, 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 and seems like sometimes the, the, the tighter you pull to get away, the, 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 the tighter the chains get. And so you convince yourself that maybe if you just hide it, right? Maybe if you just hide it and keep it in the shadows for long enough, it'll go away. People don't have to see it. Or maybe you think, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a smart guy. I'm a wise guy. I can, I can think my way out of this. Or you just think willpower will do it. I, I wake up in the morning and I say, okay, today's the day that I'm going to be different. And then we're not, right? And we can't escape it. But I have good news for you this morning, not just bad news. Now, what if these chains aren't as strong as they seem? For those of you who are expecting me to do some kind of magic trick and like bust out of these right now, you're going to be sorely disappointed with the rest of this sermon. <laughs> 
Um, I can remember as a kid uh, when the circus came to my hometown and watching the elephant. And I was just amazed by this elephant. It was like the wildness of the African plains had made its way to little podunk Joplin, Missouri. And as cool as it was, I can also remember watching this giant majestic beast spending its life walking in circles in a circus so kids could take a ride on it for five minutes for 25 bucks a pop, thinking, that's kind of sad. Like, I'm pretty sure this majestic animal and all of its strength was made for more than this. How was it broken like that? And, and so the story goes, I've heard that the people who train the elephants for the circus, what they do is, the way they can keep an elephant constrained, they don't need a cage, they don't even need a chain, is that when that elephant is a baby, they just take a big thick rope and they tie his leg to a stake in the ground. And it's, it's a thick rope, and so try as it might, the elephant will pull and pull and pull and tug, but he just can't get away. And so as the elephant then grows up and gets bigger and gets stronger, eventually that elephant has just been conditioned to believe that it can't get free. And so you don't even need a big rope anymore. That even when the elephant is strong enough to actually break the rope and actually pull up the stake, just the feeling of that rope around its ankle reminds it that he's hopeless, and so he doesn't even try. But what if the chains aren't as strong as they seem? What if, since it was choices that got you shackled in the first place, what if there were other choices that could actually break the curse and set you free? Let's go back to our story here in Mark chapter 5. The disciples have just gotten out of the boat. Remember, it's the middle of the night. This naked, chained up, bleeding, foaming at the mouth guy comes running up to them. I'm assuming the disciples have probably wet their pants by this point. That's not in the text. I'm just thinking what I would do. And verses 6 through 13. Mark says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now pause right there for just a second. Did you notice that the demon knows exactly who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? Because that demon knows who Jesus is and that demon knows what Jesus can do. He knows that he's dealing with the king of kings and the lord of lords and the defender of the lowly and the healer of the broken and the champion of the oppressed and the judge of the universe, sovereign over the unseen realms. He knows who he's messing with, do you? That's why the demon says, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and were drowned. Now, so a legion is about 6,000 military soldiers. It's a military unit. So we've got 6,000 demons here going into 2,000 pigs. That's three demons per pig. And this is historically significant because this is the first instance ever of deviled ham. <laughs> so these pigs, they go hog wild, you know as they commit suicide, and it really hamstrung the local economy, pork chopped their profits, okay? Please stop laughing at that, those are terrible, okay? Um, this man comes, 6,000 demons, and he falls down on his knees before Jesus, the son of the most high God, 
and Jesus sets him free. Here's what you need to know today. When you bend your knees, Jesus breaks your chains. When you bend your knees, Jesus breaks your chains. Now that doesn't mean that your life is gonna be perfect and your marriage is gonna be easy and your dog's never gonna pee on the floor again. Jesus makes it very clear that when you follow him, like suffering and confusion are still part of the equation, and yet the truth remains that when you bend your knees, Jesus breaks your chains. When you come to him with nothing to offer except your nakedness and you're disgusting and you're shackled and you're bruised, and you come and you fall down before him in complete and total surrender before the Son of the Most High God, when you bend your knees, Jesus breaks your chains. Take a look. Verses 14 and 15, I think, here. Look at this transition. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So take a look at this incredible transition this guy goes through. We saw earlier that sin makes you dirty, but we just saw now that Jesus makes you clean. The man comes to Jesus stark naked, and it's Jesus. I don't know how he does it. I don't know if he like pulled clothes out of thin air or if Peter ended up in his skivvies over there. All I know is the next time we see this demon-possessed guy, he's clothed, and that's what Jesus does for us too. Earlier we saw Isaiah say that our sin makes us filthy, but look what else Isaiah says. He says, now my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Earlier we saw that sin makes you dirty. The man comes to Jesus dirty and the next time we see the man, he's clean. And you and I, that is our spiritual story too. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Paul says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. If we were completely honest with each other this morning, that's some of your story. But that's not all of your story. Because Paul says, but now you are washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Sin makes you dirty, but Jesus makes you clean. Sin makes you alone, we said. But Jesus gives you a home. This man was not only restored to his true self, he's now restored also to his relationship with God and to his relationship with his family. He gets to go home, and this is our story as well. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here, and all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, that you and I have been restored into a relationship with God and we've also been restored to relationships with each other. That's why we can be bonded together as a church, not because we're a community of the perfect, but because we are the fellowship of the forgiven, fully known and fully loved. Sin makes you desperate, we said, but Jesus gives you peace. Mark said here in, in verse 15 that when they came to Jesus, they saw the man dressed and in his right mind. He was sitting there, not screaming, sitting. Not desperate, but in his right mind. 
And that's the invitation to you from Jesus who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Scripture says that he is our peace. Jesus himself promises in John 14, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Sin makes you desperate, but Jesus gives you peace. And here's the last one. Sin makes you dead, but Jesus gives you life. When those pigs ran off the edge of the cliff, it was a tangible reminder that the wages of sin is death, Paul says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Earlier we read in John chapter 10 where Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but not so with Jesus. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sin brings death, but Jesus brings life. That's our spiritual story. We read earlier from Colossians chapter two that we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, but now God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the great exchange of all of history. Jesus gives us his perfection for our sin, his life, and he takes our death. So listen, if you hear one thing I say this morning, please hear this. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, there's another man, alone, screaming, bleeding, in unimaginable pain, isolated from the people that he loves, cut off from God, sent outside the city, and banished to a tomb. And it wasn't the demoniac, it was Jesus himself. And this is how the chains break. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he took the full weight of your sin and my sin upon himself. He took the evil of all of humanity. He bore the full brunt of the enemy's attack and the wickedness of all of history. And he nailed it to the cross and he died for it. And now in his victory, because he rose from the dead three days later, he now reigns forever as the one true king of kings. And so in light of that, Jesus himself says in Revelation chapter 1 that because of his resurrection, you don't have to be afraid. He says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. When you surrender to Jesus, when you fall down on your knees before the risen king of kings, he's the one who has the power to break the chains. This is how the chains break. And listen, I know for a fact that there are some of you in the room right now who have not yet experienced this. And you're here this morning, and maybe you're here because somebody wants you to be here, maybe you're here because you're playing church games, but you're still shackled. Like, you're stuck. And I'm here to tell you that when you bend your knees, Jesus breaks your chains, and that he holds the keys to death and Hades, and that he stands ready today to set you free. Next week is Baptism Sunday. We are ready for you. There's gonna be a prayer team around the edges of the room like they always are. If you wanna have a conversation about baptism, go on the website to the baptism tab. We would love, love, love to talk with you. We are ready for you. Some of you need to have the keys unlocked for the very first time for Jesus to set you completely free. But my guess is for most of you in the room who would already call yourselves followers of Jesus, maybe you've kind of already experienced that big moment of baptism and surrendering to him, but the process doesn't end there, does it? 
Jesus wants to keep setting you free more and more and more every single day. And so I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but he does want you to make a choice. He wants you to still choose him and to choose freedom every day. And in the same way that choice by choice by choice, you got in these chains, choice by choice by choice, he wants to set you free. I don't know what it is for you today. Maybe Jesus wants you to choose to step out of greed and into a life of generosity and contentment. Maybe Jesus wants you to step out of dissatisfaction and despair and into a life of his hope. Maybe he wants you to step out of a life of jealousy and into a life of gratitude and community and love. Maybe today Jesus wants you to step out of a life of deep, hidden sexual brokenness and into a life of purity and freedom. Maybe today Jesus wants you to step out of a life of religious rule-keeping and into a real joy-filled, life-giving, prayer-based relationship with him. Maybe today Jesus wants you to step out of a life of insecurity and anxiety and fear and into a life of trust and acceptance and peace. Uh, maybe today Jesus wants to have you step out of a life of pride and into a life of humility. Maybe Jesus wants you to step out of a life of being enslaved to achievement and into a life of rest. Maybe Jesus wants you to step out of a life of laziness and into a life of purpose. Maybe he wants you to step out of a life of anger and into a life of forgiveness. I don't know where you are today, but I do know that when you bend your knees, he breaks the chains and that he still has more for every single one of us in here today. Now, the good news is that even when Jesus sets you free, the story isn't over. God always saves us so that he can send us. Check out what happens next after God sets this guy free. In verse 14, it says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So this guy, after he gets healed, he wants to go with Jesus. He wants to leave with Jesus. It's obvious why. Like, he's amazed at what Jesus can do. He's grateful at what Jesus has done for him. He's thinking, you know what? I don't know what happened, but I know as long as I stick with Jesus, the enemy can't get me. But I wonder, I wonder if there's something else. I wonder if in the back of his mind he thought, no, I can't go home. I can't show my face there again because they've all seen me naked, for one. <laughs> And I, I don't want to just always be the ex-demon-possessed guy. They'll probably blame me for the whole pig thing. But, but Jesus says, no, go home. 
And some of you have big dreams for what you want God to do in your life and how you want him to use you. And yet here's the reality of it. Your mission always starts where you are and not where you want to be. That for some of you, God just wants you to go home and he wants you to start at home. He wants you to live on mission right now with the friends you have right now and the job you have right now and the family you have right now. He wants you to start living on mission at home with the people who know you best and the people who, yes, even know your dirt. And here's the cool thing about that. I just noticed this nugget this week. The next time Jesus comes back to this area is in Mark chapter 8. We're going to get there later. And the next time Jesus comes back to this region of the Gerasenes in Mark chapter 8, he, he, he feeds a crowd of 4,000 people. That means the next time he shows up here, 4,000 people come out to see Jesus. I wonder why 4,000 people come out to see him. I think it's because that guy went home and he told his story. And I know the idea of sharing your faith and talking about your faith and sharing your story is intimidating because, I mean, what are people going to think? And, and what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? But this guy here, like, he didn't have a perfect theological explanation of justification by grace through faith. And he couldn't articulate a defense of literal six-day creation and talk about what happened to the dinosaurs and defend the authority of Scripture. All he had were his scars and his story. And God used it. I love that in the Bible, actually, when Jesus rises from the dead, we see that even in his resurrected body, Jesus still bears on his body his scars. He's still got the marks of his crucifixion. And we got some scars in the room today, don't we? And the good thing is a wound that is healed becomes a scar that tells a story. I wonder if that's what the guy did when he went home. I wonder if he just said, yeah, this. That's where I was cutting myself. I was so desperate. I wonder if he said, yeah, these... Those marks are from the shackles. I was, I was just alone and I didn't know what to do. But then I met Jesus. And that's what you and I get to do too. You see, your story may not seem that dramatic, but all of us in here in this room, we have the same story before Jesus and after Jesus. And so here's my challenge for you today. Tell your story. Just tell your story. I wonder how the demoniac would have told it. I wonder if he would have said, I was alone but now because of Jesus, I'm in community. I was condemned, but now because of Jesus, I'm saved. I was hidden, but now because of Jesus, I'm known. I was in pain, but now because of Jesus, I'm healing. I was dirty, but now because of Jesus, I'm clean. I was empty, but now because of Jesus, I'm full. I was a mess, but now because of Jesus, I'm a saved mess with God's grace on my side. I was quiet about my story, but now because of Jesus, I'm open to tell it all. I was scared, but now because of Jesus, I'm faithful. I was full of sin, but now because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. I bet if the demoniac told his story, it would have sounded something like that. But... Um, he isn't the one who wrote those words. Um, last week at our Rooted Groups on Sunday evening, we had all the Rooted Groups fill out these little cards to tell their story. And these are the stories of some of your brothers and sisters right here in this room right now. This is, this is our story. And so I hope you got one of those little cards when you came in here today. If you didn't, I want you to look where I'm pointing here real quick. There's a table right down here down front, and there's another table right down there down front where we have more cards and more pens, and we are ready and available for you. And you'll notice if you look around the edges of the room, we've got some stories hanging up. 
And in the balcony at the front of the aisles, we've got some stories hanging up there. There's some strings with some clothespins. And so here's our challenge for you. Over the course of the next three songs, I want you to write your story. Do just what Jesus told the demoniac to do. To tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And for the next two songs, the words aren't even gonna be on the screen for the music. This is just the time for you to pray, to reflect, to write down your story. And when you're ready, go hang it up. We're gonna move around the room today. Go hang it up. And then come back and just thank Jesus for what he's done in you and and ask him what he might wanna do in you. Ask him what story he wants to continue to write in you. I'm gonna ask the members of our prayer team and our elders to go ahead and get up and, and fill out the edges of the room here. And like we always do, Our prayer team is gonna have their green lanyards on and we're gonna have the elders available today also with anointing oil. Um, Scripture says if any of you are in need of healing to ask the elders of the church to pray for you and they'll anoint you with oil because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And that may seem a little weird, but listen, I know there's some of you in the room today who are fighting a hard battle and you need some healing and we'd love to just have a time to just pray with you and pray for you. If you'd have the courage to come, even as you go pin your card up, just swing by a member of the prayer team or an elder and say, hey, would you pray with me? got something going on and we love to walk with you and there's some of you today who listen um, I know that you're looking at that card and you're thinking I know what the before Jesus story is because I'm a wreck but I don't know what the after story Jesus is after Jesus story because I, I haven't experienced that yet and you're still locked up and you need to come to him today to write the second half of that story and if that's you we are ready for you come to the prayer team or fill out the baptism tab online we'd love to have that conversation with you wherever you are today Jesus wants to write a good story in you And when you bow your knees, he breaks your chains. And then he sends us to go tell that story of how good he's been to us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And as soon as I say amen, you can sit, you can stand, you can do whatever. But this is time for you to be with the Lord, to dwell on the story that he wants to write in your life and go hang it up when you're ready. And as soon as I say amen, I'm going to come down to one of those tables. I'm going to hang up my story and I hope you'll join me. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we love you, and we're so thankful for your mercy to us. We're so thankful that you found us, that you loved us in all of our mess, and we were dirty, but you made us clean, and we were alone, but you came and found us, and you gave us a home, and we were dead, but you have given us life through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. And it's because he's alive that we have this incredible hope of knowing that he gives freedom and life to the full, and so we're asking Jesus. I'm asking that you would give courage to my brothers and sisters in the room today to discover your freedom and then to tell the story. And we're asking you this in full faith, in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.